Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to a special episode of Boom Lawyered, a Rewire News Group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that wonders if they're ever going to recover from the election hangover. I'm not sure that I will, Jess. How about you? Mmm, jury's still out on that one. <laughs> jury is still out. Well, what the jury is not out on is the fact that I'm Imani Gandhi. <laughs> and I'm Jess Piglow. Rewire News Group is dedicated to empowering you to own your relationship to sex, abortion, parenthood, and power. And the Team Legal Podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. So today, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case that threatens to finally do what conservatives have spent the last 10 years failing at doing, and that's striking down the Affordable Care Act. Over 20 million people have health insurance thanks to the ACA, and today at the court, the fate of their insurance looks up for grabs. Yeah, you know, the Republicans have been filing lawsuits challenging the Affordable Care Act since the dawn of time. Literally. Like, before Obama had even conceived of the idea, before he was even born, Republicans were like, you know what? There's going to be a black guy in the future who's going to try to give health care to people. We got to make sure to oppose that. They've been opposing it so much <laughs> that they couldn't even get it done. So they're now they now seem to be asking courts to do what they couldn't mm -hmm. get done. Can you just give us a little background about all of the just rampant fuckery that's been going on with the ACA over the last decade Oh, so that's a huge task. I'm not going to give the background on all the rampant fuckery because that's like a five-hour show, but I'll focus in on what <laughs> Let's we're talking. do a telethon, an ACA telethon. Let's do it. Oh, my God, it. we really should. <laughs> really, though, what we're talking about in today's case are three key points to remember, all right? So first, Amani, do you remember 2017? Uh, no, I've tried very hard to forget. I don't remember anything before 2016. So what happened in 2017? <laughs> I mean, fair. Like, we should all sort of be knocked over the head and blacked out until January 20th. But yep. 2017 was the last time that Republicans in Congress tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And ah. like every other time before it, they failed. They didn't repeal it. And that's the first point to remember. Right before the 2018 midterm elections, Republicans tried and failed to repeal the entire Affordable Care Act, despite the fact that they controlled Congress. Let me repeat, they controlled Congress and the people freaked out so much when they tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act that they couldn't get it done. I think that's really, really, really key. Right. So that's the first key point in understanding this lawsuit. But what they did manage to do was change a key part of the law, and we heard a lot about that today, and that's the individual mandate. All right, so strap in. Let's, let's talk about this individual mandate. The individual mandate is the part of the law that says almost everyone needs to have health insurance. They have mm -hmm. to buy health insurance or get it from their employer or they have to pay a tax. Mm -hmm. Now, Republicans in Congress zeroed out the penalty associated with the individual mandate to zero dollars and zero cents. And that's really important because the individual mandate is also the part of the ACA that John Roberts, back in 2012, declared constitutional because it's a tax. That's the second key point of this case. The Supreme Court has already looked at the individual mandate once and, with Chief Justice John Roberts leading the way, said, you know what? Looks good to us. The ACA is constitutional. 
Okay, so two key points. Let's go over them again. The first key point, Republicans tried to repeal the ACA right before the midterms. They couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. Second key point, the Supreme Court already looked at the individual mandate back in 2012 and said it is fine. Yep. So here's where it gets really, really ridiculous. Republicans were very, very proud of themselves for zeroing out that tax because they thought it opened up a new way to attack the Affordable Care Act in court. Mm -hmm. They were so proud of themselves that they marched right into a courthouse in the northern district of texas where one reed o'connor presides Mm, reed o'connor is a wildly partisan judge he's just basically a jackass so they marched into reed o'connor's court and filed a brand new lawsuit arguing that wait for it wait for it the individual mandate is unconstitutional because how can you have a tax that is zero dollars? And if the individual mandate is unconstitutional because you can't have a zero dollars and zero cent tax, then the entire ACA is unconstitutional and the entire ACA must be gutted, killed, throat slashed, body buried in the woods. <laughs> oh, God. First of all, my stomach hurts. But that's the really key point to know, right? That's the third point here about this lawsuit. It is entirely the creation of Republican lawmakers and Republican attorneys general, and they brought it before a judge they knew would rule in their favor. This is activist judging and lawyering. And and I thought Republicans were supposed to hate activist judging and lawyering. What happened to that? It's Mm -hmm. all nonsense. Are you telling me that was all bullshit, Jess? Look... It's a nonsense argument. It's a nonsense argument. But guess what? Hmm. Jackass Reed O'Connor bought the nonsense. So fast forward to today and we have an outgoing president who just lost reelection by historic margins, even though he refuses to admit it. And the control of the Senate is still up for grabs. And a fresh anti-ACA conservative majority on the SCOTUS. And well... You know, it's possible that the most outrageously ludicrous legal argument against the ACA will be the first ever to succeed. And and that just that that makes that makes me sweaty. That makes me sweaty. I think you can go get a drink. I'm gonna because we need it. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna. So actually, you know what? First of all, I have to give you props. You, Amani live tweeted the uh, arguments from the Rewire News Group uh, Twitter account and absolutely crushed it. You want to know what's going on in the case? By all means, go over and follow us on Rewire News Group Twitter and check out what she did because it was amazing. But Thank after you. all that live tweeting, like, how do you think this is going to turn out? I don't know. In any <laughs> normal world <laughs> with a normal court that wasn't stacked with Federalist Society stooges, who all think the same way, I would say that they had that that the, the ACA is going to be fine, right? Yeah. Because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you're taking this one little section of this complex thousand-page bill and saying because this one little section is no longer applicable or viable or constitutional that the entire bill has to be killed. Right. And the reason why that's ridiculous is because there is a strong presumption in favor of something called severability. Ooh, explain that. That sounds sexy. Ooh, severability. Let's talk. <laughs> gather around, <laughs> yawn, children. <laughs> Let's talk about, talk about severability. Severability. <laughs> so severability basically means that if you have a statute, 
that Congress has passed and Congress has not said that every provision of the statute is reliant upon every other provision such that if you kill one provision, the entire bill has to fail. Unless they do that, then there's a strong presumption that if you kill one section, you just leave the rest of the bill alone. Right. right? Like, let's say you have a you're a doctor and a person Uh comes in with a tumor. What are you going to do? You excise the tumor. You don't kill the person. Right. So think of the ACA as a person with a tumor. Think of the individual mandate as a tumor. And what (laughs) what the Supreme Court should do is just excise the tumor, excise the mandate, and let the body, the ACA, live. Let the ACA live. And one would think that that's what they would do. But... You know, they were, I mean, you have justices like Thomas and Alito who are basically like, here's what I think. Now tell me if what you think really comports with what I think. So give me a path to rule in your favor. Yeah. And honestly, there's just not a reason for this court to rule in in, in the favor of the people challenging this law. It, it doesn't make any sense. But so let me ask you a question. Okay, wait, but I got to confess something first. Okay, let's confession time. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. <sighs> I'm, I'm having to sit with the fact that maybe I was a little hard on Brett Kavanaugh. No. I mean. Stop it. Okay. No, but I know, no. What it's do you been mean? a long quarantine and like I'm still a little fuzzy from, from the election, but. What are you, what are you talking about here? Let's, let's talk. He talk really to me, sounded like maybe he was not gonna gut the ACA entirely. Like the severability argument that you are talking about this idea that you know a statute is a scaffold and you don't just like pull the middle out and the whole thing collapse or as you said you know the the ACA is a patient with a tumor and you don't slash the patient's throat you just take the tumor out like (laughs) Brett Kavanaugh seemed to be going along with that argument and it gave me some conflicting feelings and I just need to air them in a safe place because I know they will be heard and not judged Right. So thank right. you. I, I will not judge you. I will hear you. That's that's what family's for. And, you know, I have to say I agree with you because as I was listening to his questionings, I was thinking to myself, it seems to me that he's not really buying this uh, inseverability nonsense. And yeah. I think partly because, you know, this would just open up floodgates for all legislation, right? Congress has passed tons and tons of legislation with complex omnibus provisions. And to say that a person can have a a complaint about one provision and then Mm -hmm. use their complaint about that one provision to kill the entire bill when Congress has basically indicated that that's not what they wanted by the fact that they didn't repeal the whole bill. They just zeroed out this one part. I don't understand how the court is going to going to square that circle. I don't I don't know how that's yeah. going to happen, but I also know that these justices were put on the court for this specific purpose. And especially when we're talking about Chugs McCaverton, <laughs> you got to look at the fact that he literally had to issue an apology for an opinion that he wrote recently oh, because it was God, so wrong right. and so filled with bullshit. So, I'm not sure if Kavanaugh asking poignant and pertinent questions means that he's going to not lose his fucking mind when it comes time to write a ruling. Or an opinion, if yeah. he ends up being a person who writes a ruling or opinion, or has to sign on to an opinion that is as as equally ridiculous as something he himself would have penned. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's. Fair. I mean, that's real fair. You know, we got a lot of partisan justices who are just looking for excuses. Okay, but let me ask you a question: Ooh. What about the attorneys who were defending the ACA? 
What? How do you think they did? I think this is a setup just to get me to talk about my crush on Don Verrilli. <laughs> it is. It is. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> Don Verrilli is the former Solicitor General in the Obama administration. This man has saved the Affordable Care Act several times, and he defended the law on behalf of um, some of the intervening Democratic uh, senators and representatives in Congress. And I thought he, along with the Solicitor General of California, did an excellent job navigating the garbage that was thrown at them, particularly by Amy Coney Barrett. So we all Mm -hmm. know Justice Thomas hates the Affordable Care Act. Like his wife gets paid a lot of money to lobby against it and has for a long time. Like this is their family mission. That's one of them. Alito, same thing. Like even when he's being nice to attorneys that he, you know, agrees with, he's still sniveling. And so whatever. But Justice Barrett, man, this woman was gleeful in her attacks on the Affordable Care Act. And I thought that the uh, that the Solicitor General from California and Don Verrilli just handled her with aplomb. They were like, yeah, I hear you, but no, no. <laughs> and honestly, Don Verrilli, Amani was like, he speaks so fast. She was slacking me about how fast Don Verrilli talks. And I was like, yes, but it's so sexy because it's fast policy. So yeah. he is able to like move through the statute and the arguments in honestly ways that I I have never seen an advocate do. And he was pulling Roberts along. He was pulling um, uh, Kegstand along so that he could get, hopefully, them to agree that, you know what, maybe there is a ruling that the court splits the difference here and finds the min- the mandate is um, unconstitutional because of what Congress did, but then doesn't strike the whole law. To me, I thought Verrilli was really doing a good job. But like I said, you know, I'm already starting to fan myself a little bit just talking about his advocacy at the court because I find it very attractive. Well, I mean, and it's also just sensible, right? I mean, he talked about the fact that the ACA has been the law of the land for a decade. Mm -hmm. The health insurance sector has relied on this law for a a decade and has sort of rearranged itself to make it work alongside this bill, this really important bill that gave millions and millions of people you know, the opportunity to not die from basic shit. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that the healthcare sector and actual people, Americans, have been relying on this law for a decade sort of cuts against any claim that, oh, the, the, the entire piece of legislation is so unworkable if you cut out this mandate such that we need to kill the whole thing. Yeah. And part of the arguments that the people challenging this bill kept making is they kept trying to say that even though there's no inseverability clause, because usually if you have a piece of legislation or even a contract, that the parties to the contract or the people who wrote the legislation, if they expect certain pieces to be plucked out as unconstitutional, they will say specifically, if they want this to be the case, if you take out this section of the bill, then the whole bill collapses Mm -hmm. because you need this section of the bill. Congress didn't do that. And they kept trying to sort of play the 2010 Congress that actually passed the ACA Mm -hmm. against the 2017 Congress, which zeroed out the mandate. The 2010 Congress back in the day kept saying, you know, the individual mandate is key to this bill. It's key to this bill. And if we don't have the individual mandate, then the entire healthcare market is just going to collapse. It's not going to work. Yeah. And, you know, that's fine if that's what the 2010 Congress thought. But cut to seven years later, that's clearly not what the 2017 Congress thought. Yep. The 2017 Congress didn't repeal this bill. They simply zeroed out the mandate. And it's absurd. Verrilli pointed out that it's absurd to think that a, was this Verrilli who pointed this out or it might have been the California attorney general. One of these smart people pointed <laughs> out 
that part of the point of this individual mandate of zeroing out this individual mandate was to cut taxes, right? It was part of the Mm -hmm. stupidly named Tax Cut Jobs Act. (laughs) And so if they were trying to alleviate financial pressure on people living in this country, on taxpayers, then why would they then expect the entire health care bill to fall and collapse, thus putting those very same people that they were trying to um, alleviate this financial pressure from, thus throwing them back into the private market, which means they're going to be paying thousands and thousands of dollars for health insurance if they can afford it at all. And -hmm. if they can't afford it, then we're back to the system in the 2000s where people were just going bankrupt because they got a cold. And so it just doesn't make sense that Congress would have been trying to alleviate financial pressure in one area while piling on financial pressure in another. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think that that's a really, really, really key point when it comes to talking about whether or not this provision should be severed and the rest of the ACA should stand or whether this provision should kill the whole fucking bill. Thousands of pages of legislation that protected pre-existing conditions that let 26-year-olds stay on their parents' uh, health insurance. It's just, it's a mind-boggling argument, and and I hate it. That's all I have to say. I just hate it. I really hate it, too. And, you know, today's arguments were really technical, and there was a lot of, you know, like procedural back and forth. And so I think for folks who aren't lawyers, it's really tough um, to follow along with these arguments and to tell really sort of what's going on. But, you know, it's not impossible. And I there were some moments like, did any of the attorneys or justices just wildly step out of line or like act like or say something like completely outrageous or just act like a jerk to you? I mean, are they on their best behavior? You know, this is a I, new I mean, world for the court. Yeah. Well, considering that this case is not an abortion case. Right. <laughs> most of them were pretty much on their best behavior. You know, there's no there's there's not any any sort of cultural imperative that these people are beholden to aside from big business. You know, obviously this is a very pro-business court, but that's not the sort of issue that brings out, you know, the angry little Alito man or brings out the real kind of nastiness that Thomas can be known for. Both of them were, were pretty mellow, pretty chill. What was surprising to me is how pissed off Breyer was. Oh, he <laughs> was Breyer mad. was just like, I not, he was so mad. He was just like, what the fuck is even happening here? And let me explain why. So part of the issue here is that challengers to this law are claiming even though a person is no longer required to buy insurance, and even though if a person does not buy insurance, there is no penalty for Mm -hmm. not buying insurance, somehow Americans are so beholden to to, to institutions and and the, the rule of law that a statement from Congress that says you shall buy insurance or you should buy insurance is going to be so morally persuasive that even though they were willing to pay a tax before so that they didn't have to buy insurance they're going to be so morally persuaded now that they're going to go ahead and get this insurance that they were unwilling to get before when it actually cost them something Mm -hmm. these same people who were willing to pay a fee so that they didn't have to do something that the government wanted them to do are somehow now going to do that thing that the government wants them to do even though if they don't do it nothing happens to them and Sonia Sotomayor pointed this out was like that's just fucking ridiculous that doesn't make sense 
sense logically. And Breyer started talking about, you know, the two words of the day are precatory and hortatory, right? These are great lawyer words. These are great lawyer words. My professor, Professor Cushman at UVA in law school, he was my con law professor, loved the word hortatory. And that basically means when Congress says you should do something or you shall do something, right? So Breyer kept talking about war bonds for some reason. He was like, so what about during World War II when Congress said, you shall buy war bonds to help the war effort? Is that a command? Is that something that people will think if they don't do that, they're going to face some penalty, even though there's no enforcement of this actual hortatory request? Mm-hmm. No, no one's going to go and buy a war bond because, oh, my God, the government told me to buy war bonds. And even though they said they're not going to arrest me or fine me or punish me in any way, I got to go buy war bonds. Who thinks like that? That's Nobody. just not something that is actually happening in the real world. And Breyer was really trying to get the attorney from, who was it? Texas's attorney? Texas, the solicitor general, yeah. yeah. Was trying to get Texas's solicitor general, Hawkins, to admit that he had not read the entire U.S. code <laughs> and he had not found any particular part of the code where Congress had said, you have to do something. And everyone thought, oh my God, if I don't do something, then I'm going to be in trouble. That's just not something that happens. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, Breyer even broke out dictionary definitions. I mean, he's our data nerd, right? You guys he know is. that we love Breyer, our data nerd. And he's tired and he doesn't like these illogical arguments. And he just, I think he's over it. I yeah. think he's over it. And I bet he's pretty glad that Biden won so he can get the F out because I think he's done. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, he Breyer, uh, I've covered the court for 10 years and this is the most animated and angriest I've seen Breyer. And I think it really speaks to how ridiculous these arguments are. And because Breyer is also really good at spotting the next argument. So when when the conservatives in this case are arguing about hortatory language and, you know, in Congress and, and states uh, giving imperatives to their citizens. There's another conversation that's happening here. And Justice Thomas alluded to it in his very first line of questionings when he brought up mask mandates. Right. And and yeah. how are we how you know, are there ways for individuals to bring lawsuits to challenge directions from their lawmakers that they don't agree with? This is the standing argument in a nutshell, because, right. you know, there's the outcome of an election that, you know, we think we know. And some of it is still up for grabs with the Senate. The court is going to be, as we've talked about on the show, the final stopping point for a lot of Democratic legislative priorities. Yeah. And states, a conservative attorney general, are going to be bringing lawsuits, too. So what we are seeing here is also a reshuffling of the landscape in terms of what future challenges to future progressive priorities will and can look like. And mm-hmm. Breyer picked up on that right away and was like, no, 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 we are not doing that right now. I I get the sense that, I mean, Sonia Sotomayor seemed just annoyed by all of this. Kagan seems annoyed by all of this. But in a way, she was asking questions in a way, as you said, that could drag Roberts over. She might even drag Kavanaugh over. I don't know. Yeah, she's she's the key. the, 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 the posture of this case is absurd, right? Like, mm-hmm. if Congress wanted to repeal the bill, they would have repealed the bill. Yeah. And it's not for the judiciary to come in and repeal the bill because the president was able to, to pop three jackasses on the court who are willing to do that and to flout 
like the rule of law. There is a strong presumption that you can't just bring lawsuits based on generalized grievances. Yeah. And that's essentially what this lawsuit is. It is a lawsuit on behalf of people who have a generalized grievance about the ACA, even though the ACA is not punishing them in any way. There's no provision of the ACA that forces them to do anything that will result in punishment or penalty. And that's the bottom line. And so swap out the ACA with the Green New Deal, for example, and you can see exactly what the future of that conservative legal thinking is in terms of these challenges. Right. They want anybody to be able to complain about anything at any time, but only if it's about stuff that they don't like. Yeah. To a Trump judge. To To a Trump Trump judge. judge. Yeah. So final question. Uh What is the best case outcome here? Like you're our court whisperer. What's the best outcome? What's the worst outcome? Like, how much vodka should I drink as soon as we stop recording this podcast? I mean, the best outcome is a nine to zero decision that says, Texas and you fellow Republicans, go home. You're drunk. Like, this is ridiculous. We, as you have said for months now and all day today during the live tweet and like on this show, we should not be here. This is entirely a cooked up political challenge to save. Republicans asses for what they couldn't do in Congress. That's the bottom line. So the best case scenario is that we have nine justices on the Supreme Court with a solid moral compass that see through that. What's the likely outcome, though? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, the likely outcome is also the worst outcome. What's so, so yeah. um, you know, I was feeling very pessimistic going into arguments today um, that we would get a, you know, a for sure at a minimum five to four um, if Roberts went along with the liberals uh, striking the Affordable Care Act mandate and finding that it can't be severed from the rest of the bill. I'm feeling a little bit better after today's arguments. And I know, I know, never put your faith in a man named Brett Kavanaugh. So I'm not (laughs) like there. But I do think it was important that he expressed the skepticism that he did on the severability argument. I mean, he flat out said, hey, look, you folks could have repealed the mandate, but you didn't. You kept all of these other provisions in it. And that suggests that Congress felt they were important. That matters. So if that, if Kagan can bring Kavanaugh along there and remind Justice Roberts that, hey, your entire reputation is on the line here and that conservatives are going to drag you no matter how you rule unless you say that you embrace their theory and completely renounce your decision in 2012 and NFIB Sebelius, like Mm -hmm. Roberts is never going to win with the conservatives. So he might as well do the right thing here. And I hope Kagan can pull that off. And if that happens, then we might get a decision that says the individual mandate is unconstitutional given what Congress did in 2017, but it's it's severable because that's common sense. And so your pre-existing conditions protection stand, all of those other things do. That is certainly how they could split the baby in this case. And then it would sort of create some more chaos. They could Find that you know what Texas, your entire case is garbage, and the mm-hmm. ACA is not, un- or the individual mandate is not unconstitutional. I just think that's a bridge too far. I just don't. I, I it's hard for me to see um, Kavanaugh going along with that argument, and we mm-hmm. need him to go along with that argument in order to save the entirety. If, if he goes along with just the severability argument, that's fine. 
Yeah, that's fine. Because it just doesn't even make sense that you're going to kill the whole freaking bill because of this one provision that doesn't do anything. And, and, and I think one more key point that's interesting here is that not to get too into the weeds, but the ACA was Robert said that the ACA was a, a proper exercise of Congress's taxing power. Right. Yes. He specifically said it was not a proper exercise of the Commerce Clause power. Right. And so if it's a proper exercise of the taxing power, just because Congress zeroed out the mandate in 2017 doesn't mean they couldn't undo that decision in the future. A future Congress could decide, you know what, we actually do want to have a penalty for the mandate and they could impose a penalty. They could increase a tax. Precisely. So just because a tax doesn't exist today doesn't mean a tax won't exist in the future. And I right. think that's a key point. But generally, I think the most key point, like the nugget of all of this, is that these Republicans are trying to take health care away from millions of people, 20 million or so people in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. In the middle of a pandemic that the current administration, the current lame duck administration seems to have forgotten even exists, even though almost everyone in the White House has COVID now. They're not talking about it. They're not doing anything about it. Instead of actually talking to the American people about perhaps providing some relief, they are Republicans are trying to 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 sort of soothe the hurt feelings of this man baby president who won't admit he lost the goddamn election. So what what is happening here? There are so many people who have COVID. We don't know how many people are long haul COVID sufferers. We're going to have problems for the rest of their lives and will be disabled in some way for the rest of their lives and need health insurance. How are they supposed to get it on the open market when they have a massive pre-existing condition that like 10 million other people also have? Yeah. The, the, yeah, I mean, the, the case really has earthquake potential in terms of uh, disrupting marketplaces, disrupting individual lives and disrupting entire legal systems. Um, yeah. We talk about big cases on this show all the time. This is maybe one of the biggest ones we've ever covered. Huge, huge. And you should stick with us as we cry and drink our way through this Supreme Court term. If you want to talk to us about this case, if you have questions, you can follow me at Angry Black Lady. You can follow Jess at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. You should follow Rewire News Group on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And you should give us all of your money because you know we love your money. <laughs> Rewirenewsgroup.com slash boom. Give that's rewirenewsgroup.com slash B O O M G I V E. Our Facebook group is also popping. Just hop over there, answer the questions, we'll let you in. And you know, I think it's breakfast wine time. Breakfast wine, it is. Breakfast wine. What are we going to do, Jess, besides breakfast wine? Breakfast wine on the tubes, folks. See you there. Breakfast wine on the tubes. See you there. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piclo and Imani Gandhi. Mark Filetti produces the show. 